Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to The Culture Bunker, your weekly pop culture roundup. He's Andrew Harrison. And she's Sean Pattenden. This week we're delighted to be joined by the legend that is Claire Grogan of Altered Images, back with her stroke there, first album in 39 years, and very, very good it is too. We're going to be talking to Claire about a life in pop and what it's like to find yourself back in focus four decades since Happy Birthday and I Could Be Happy. Plus, it's an action movie doubleheader as we watch two high-concept brain exploders. Brad Pitt is a disaffected hitman trapped on a high-speed Japanese rail service with a ragbag of other killers in new action comedy bullet train. And remember the Predator from the Arnie movies? It's back and hunting Comanche tribespeople in the year 1719 in action prequel Prey has his horrible fangy mouth bitten off more than it can chew. Plus, our guests will be choosing exciting new tunes for your delectation and also for our playlist. All this and more on today's Culture Bunker. Welcome to the show. Let's say hello to our first guest. Do we really need to introduce you to Claire Grogan? I could be happy. Gregory's girl, happy birthday. The combative Irish pop singer Neve Connolly and Father Ted. Don't talk to me about love. She's done a lot and now she's here in the Culture Bunker. Hello, Claire. Hello. How you doing? I'm alive. Good. That's good. That's all we can ask these days, isn't it, really? Really and truly, that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted that I'm still going. You are about to release the first Altered Images album since 1983. How did you get back into that particular groove? Is it like riding a bike? You know, I didn't set out to record a new Altered Images album at this point. I really didn't. It kind of happened to me. Just, I don't want to sound vague about it, but, I st you know, in that second lockdown, I mm. mean, I've been talking a lot about, quite a lot of us, I think, re-evaluated where we were at with stuff. Yes. Uh, around that time because I, I basically got to pause because I'm always busy doing stuff, running around and I did get to pause and at first I struggled with it and and then I had to embrace it. Part of being relaxed, I found this little bit of space in my head to write songs again and I lived with um, Stephen Laroni, my husband. That's <laughs> <laughs> In-house record producer, very handy to have. A really amazing record producer and he was in the original band. Now, I think you saw me when I, I kind of re-emerged after 18 years. Well, the first time we met was yeah. one of the sort of, uh, one of the 80s revival yeah, tours in 2003. Right. Yeah. And it was you and the Bell Stars and 
Steve Strange RIP and yeah. all those sorts of ledges. Well, Kim Wilde and mm. the Human League. So when I get asked to do that, I thought it was probably going to be a little bit of a one-off situation because I really thought, can I honestly do this at this point in my life? <laughs> I really did think it would be a bit weird. And then my family kind of talked me into it because they just wanted to hang out backstage with Phil Loki and Kim Wilde. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. So they were like, don't be so selfish. <laughs> Of course, you can sing happy birthday in your 40s, you know. <laughs> so I did. And as you guys must all be really aware, the 80s revival has lasted longer than the decade. Yes. <laughs> so that's when I kind of started again with altered images. But as I say, I just thought it was a one-off experience. But it hasn't been. It's just grown and grown and grown. And I don't know what that is. But I'm part of it. And I thought during that lockdown, I'd love to write some new songs for all those people that still turn up at the shows. And I thought the best thank you I can do is have some new music. And then I just started writing with Stephen. We drank all the wine, ate all the crisps, watched all the box sets. (laughs) So we thought, shall we do something else with our time? So we did. Well, we're going to be talking about the album Mascara Streaked a little bit later. It is a boss record. It's full of vim and vigour and dancehall craziness. We love it. But Sean, who else is joining us? He is an expert on Balearic beats. He is a bunker regular. He likes nice cufflinks and terror style. He's DJ and journo Anthony Teasdale. Welcome back, Tony T. All right, how are you getting on, kids? <laughs> We're good. The men's football is back this weekend. Yes. Is it going to have to go some to match the women's football of last weekend? It really is. And I, yeah. I, I saw something on London's Twitter website <laughs> the other day. Mm. And uh, it was some fella outside a, uh, a football match in the north of England pointing at some other fellas outside the same football match. Yeah. And I just thought, one, it's, it's very aggressive. And I thought... It, it's one. It's July. Mm. It's July. You don't have to point at people in July. And two, uh, uh, interesting and, rule. But carry on. Yeah. And, and two, I just thought when you've got all the positivity of what's going around the women's yeah. game at the moment, do we still blokes still want to behave like this? Because it, it's, large it's, men in stone large, shouting, "Who are you?" Yeah, it, it's other. just like lads, your granddads. You don't have to do this anymore. You can just go and have fun and watch the game and go and drink afterwards and have... But you don't have to point at people. It, you don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not 1981. I'm not wearing Lois cords. Although you, know, you would if you could. You could. Yeah, I would. Got, <laughs> yeah, to be frank. I have yeah, got shorts on yeah, today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it is going to have to get uh, do some... And I think it is a bit of an alternative football. And I really enjoy the tournament. I'm looking forward to the new season. It feels a bit early. Mm. It feels a bit warm. Mm-hmm. You know, when the season was starting last week, the uh, EPL, not the EPL, the EFL in July, which I have a big problem with, it does feel a bit early. I do need another two weeks, but right. I, w- I will go for it. Who should have done the England women's team's official record, do you reckon? Um, right. And it can't King, be the Spice Girls. King, King Tubby. King Tubby. <laughs> King Tubby for the women's football. King, King, choice, King yeah. Tubby with some old, lovely Jamaican singers of the, of the 60s with their vocals in and out in a massive um, echoic style. So there wouldn't be a proper song. It would just be one relentless, boring bass line. Yeah. Well, they King could sample Tubby. silly games. Get it? Yeah, yes, yeah, so you get Janet Kay to do. Yeah, exactly. Right, let's get Janet Kay. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, that's she's it. She's in. She's in. All right, fantastic. I'd say self-esteem. 
Oh, she's a oh, she'd be good. She's she'd be very she's good. She's a good at anthem. Selection. Yeah, she's yeah. great. She's, Self- a, she's good at anthems. Sure, she's so great. Self-esteem for the English. Yeah, right, that's yeah. it. <laughs> Scroll King Tommy. Self-esteem. Okay. Yeah. Before we move on, a short reminder, listeners, you can get The Culture Bunker and all of our shows early and without adverts when you support The Bunker on Patreon. That means our unbeatable menu of daily episodes on politics, science, pop culture and much more with no ads. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. And if you want to help us out a little bit more, why not fill in our listener survey? The link is in the show notes. You could win one of five Bunker t-shirts and you'll be helping the podcast to get better. Why not do it right now while you're listening to this very podcast? On guard. Let's start with the movies. Bullet Train stars Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Sandra Bullock, Brian Tyree Henry and many more. It's directed by Deadpool 2's David Leach. And forget Southwestern. This is the train journey from hell. With frenetic, almost 1990s stylization, light speed edits, flashbacks, voiceovers, plus blood, guts and candy-coated neon lighting, will Bullet Train be the smash, get it, hit of the summer? Let's listen to the trailer. Talk to me. I am ready. You are getting the new and improved me. Because if you put peace out in the world, you get peace back. I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. Hey, this is nice. Okay, what am I snatching and or grabbing? A briefcase. You said you wanted simple for your first job back. Doesn't get simpler. Anthony Teasdale, I'm going to start with you. You trotted along to the big West End screening with us. Can you set this up? What is happening? It's a, as you'd imagine, it's based on a bullet train. And (laughs) um, there's a load of assassins get on this train, one of which is a fella called Ladybug. That's Brad Pitt. That's Brad Pitt. And there is a a suitcase full of uh, money and loot, gold, and everyone is after this suitcase. And then what happens is all these people start killing each other on the train. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So so that's your setup. Yes. And what would I say? I would say that I, I certainly enjoyed the first hour and a half of this. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like, it's a bit of a mix between Tarantino, Guy Ritchie, some Japanese films. That's also sort of, Agatha Christie. It's and a bit of a Agatha yeah, Christie yeah, trapped I, on a train. Yeah, yes. so it's like that. And if you, there are some really good little flashbacks which I really enjoyed of various assassins and their sort of backstories. Mm. There's some really sharp dialogue between, especially between there's, there's these two sort of lovable English assassins, both like quite cotton, and they're very funny and they make some great. So jokes. one of whom is Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yes. Yeah. I, th- I really enjoyed that part of it. So it kept me in my seat for an mm-hmm. hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this is good fun and it's quite sharp. And if you like, say, Snatch, which I did, then I think you'd like that. However, mm-hmm. I would describe it as having a never-ending ending. ending. <laughs> yes. It is an ending of the endings of all endings. Mm, it yes. is endings set in stone six feet high and it never ends. Uh, this is a film that needed to be an hour and a half long. If it had right. been, I would have gone, great, daft, funny, sharp, brilliant, loads of ultraviolence, loads of amusing characters, that's fine. But it does go on a bit and on and on. And in the end, and I, I motioned to Andrew at one stage and said, is X 
the bad guy after all. And I thought, oh, that would be quite good in a slightly clever twist way. No, no, <laughs> no, no, that's that, no, it wasn't that at all. The, the bad guy is exactly who you thought the bad yeah, guy is. Yeah. And it just goes on too long. For me, I would say it's a three out of five. Mm-hmm. If it was on, you'll go at it, you'll go and enjoy it. But you could leave after about ninety minutes and have a, had a perfectly acceptable <laughs> experience. Have you seen Deadpool two? No. Fine. Why? <laughs> because I think there's something similar in that slightly sarcastic, ironic voiceover thing that that penetrates this film and what makes it at some remove when you're watching it. Andrew, well, Deadpool's whole thing is yeah, he breaks the fourth wall, doesn't he, the whole yes. time. And this it doesn't quite do that. But there's there are no sideways looks at the camera, but it's very much an inverted commas film. That said, I enjoyed it vastly. What's important about it is that it's actually very intricately plotted. Uh, it's not just a case of loading a load of murderers onto a train and watching them go at each mm. other. Everybody's backstory is intimately intertwined with everybody else's backstory. And we start to see not just that there's a, a good old-fashioned quality caper on the go here, but also that there's something going on behind it. I love that um, dimension of the of the train movie, where each compartment is a scene in its own right and is a phase of the movie in its own right. On the bullet train, we've got the luxury bar. We've also got the very neon manga one where all the school kids are on with a gigantic inflatable rabbit for some reason. The characters have to move in linear fashion. You know, you can't get past somebody. You've got to go to one end or the train or the other. Very much like Train to Busan was a fantastic zombie mm-hmm, movie because mm-hmm. it, it just placed a set of constraints around a set of characters and made them deal with it. And this, as Agatha Christie knew, a train is a great place to set a mm-hmm. story. Because and Hitchcock. Exactly. You can force conflict mm. and you can force people to encounter mm. one another. I think Brad Pitt's brilliant. He's very funny. The conceit with him is that he's almost an assassin in recovery and he keeps trotting out all these platitudes about conflict as an opportunity for growth. And mm. when you're pointing a finger at me, there's three fingers of, of accusation pointing back at you. All this self-help going garbage, which doesn't stop him hitting you over the head with a pan if he needs to or shooting you. All the characters have great sort of comic potential, but also there's something quite real going mm. on with them, I think, in that, mm. like, it's a film about, ultimately, the ridiculousness of the notion that there's an assassin's underworld out there. Mm. Did you enjoy it, Sean? I really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, after seeing things like Top Gun this year, I think there's a real place for this, right, I want to be walloped over the head with a load of slapstick, comedy violence, mm. people trying to get each other, and there's a simplicity in that and the fun of we're just going to throw everything at it. And that's why I like the ending, Tony, oh. because it is ten endings at once, and once you think it's done and there's another one, they layer yeah. it on. And I just thought the delight in doing that, we can do this, we can mm. make the most stupid ending anyone's ever made. I actually really quite enjoyed that. Now, as we know, I went with my 17-year-old son, who was very keen to see this gave it a 9 out of 10 mm, he was definitely. and he liked the the Brad Pitt you know fatalism versus determinism yes sort of, <laughs> and it's yeah. faux hippie self what I liked about it as well was it kind of brings together the crash bang wallop stupidity of a good comedy action movie with that vaguely Japanese sensibility that like great forces are at play here and among them is fate but also honour and you know yeah. sense of self and truth and redemption I mean, it's a cartoon isn't it yeah. basically we watched a cartoon but with but it's a cartoon made by Actors. people who genuinely love the cartooniness yeah. of it and it's a film in its own stupid way with quite mm. a lot of heart it's committed to its own stupidity which I've, I found very admirable I mean the <laughs> cast of characters is great it really is you know we've got a Mexican gang killer yeah. mysterious female assassin yeah. We've got um, a young woman who appears to be a victim of circumstance. Some strange things happen to her along the, along mm. the way. You've got the twin assassins. You've yeah. got the 
big baddies off screen. I mean, this none of this is going to uh, hit Kaiju Cinema, is it? No, but, but it's it, not characters of storytelling. You've got mm. a wise man, you've got you know people who come along the lines, you know, an archetypal villain, all those things. Claire, is this something you would go and see? Well, you're selling it to me. Oh, I have well, to say, and as a genre, it's not something that I'm immediately drawn to. But I did watch the other week, The Grey Man. Yeah. on Netflix yeah. Yeah, with yeah. my daughter Ellie mm. and I actually I really enjoyed that so much more than I expected to so yeah actually I think I, I actually really love Brad Pitt as well I think he's a fantastic comedy actor mm. well, I really also, really do I think he's kind of grown into the age he is now because the character he's playing here is a bit battered and weary he doesn't really mm. enjoy being an assassin he's trying to get out of it Brad Pitt remains an exceptionally good looking guy <laughs> but he's a kind of a weathered good looking guy now yeah. and I think it suits him mm. yeah no I think he's real. as you say he's really grown into himself mm. but I do wonder and I could be completely off the mark with this because I don't I'm not educated enough about this but when I, even when I was watching The Grey Man I thought I wonder if Killing Eve has influenced quite a lot of films, you know, yes. just that, the kind of comedy yeah. and the ultra-violence. Yeah. But I don't know what came first. So I think Killing Eve is a big motive force in these things, in yeah. that there are no pure comedies anymore. Uh-huh. They're an action comedy or they're a horror comedy or they're a fully scripted comedy with an arc. You know, we don't really just have standalone comedies anymore, but neither do we have just pure action films anymore. They have to have something to say, even if the only thing they're commenting on is the idea of the action movie. And this is kind of both a satire of an action movie and a really great celebration of yeah, an action movie. Yeah, it's similar to In Bruges, Martin McDonough. Mm, very yes. much uh, like that. It's, yeah. more, it's less intellectual maybe than that, but again, it's the weary assassin, what do we do? It's actually quite boring we're just waiting around there's something about that element in it that I really like I just thought you know it's dumb in a good way you know we just want yeah. to go and see something dumb yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. this is exactly what I want to see but it's I very thought, yeah. high quality stupidity I think yeah <laughs> absolutely I agree Brad Pitt I mean I could watch Brad Pitt in most films for yeah, very yeah, calm down. we haven't even mentioned the snake yeah, oh, the snake. snake. I don't know if the, the ends were tied, so to speak, with the snake. Could they have snake. done more with the snake? Snakes, There's a snake on the, the train. Snakes on a train. There you go. <laughs> See, that's the high concept. Snakes yeah. on a train. Yeah. It's the sequel to Snakes yeah. on a Plane. I think, I mean, I would very much recommend this. I recommend it enormously. <laughs> that was really good fun. I'm going to go and see Yay! it. Oh, right. got so, we've sold a ticket. <laughs> yeah. Every week we ask our guests to bring in a current favourite tune of theirs as a service to you, the listener. Anthony Teasdale, what have you brought for us? Surprisingly, I've brought Balearic record. <laughs> Departure. <laughs> well, you know, I like to surprise people, kids. Mm. Uh, it's a fella called Pete Herbert. <laughs> and uh, Pete does this thing called music for swimming pools. Now, these aren't the sort of swimming pools that we all grew up in and did our Municipal baths. Municipal baths. You've got your your patch for... You know, and there's no... In no way does he sort of uh, find a brick... On the yeah. uh, on the bottom of the doesn't have to walk through the room. yeah where, um, no. yeah there's none of that. However, he does all these very pleasant uh, Balearic chuggy disco records that I do like. The latest one is the Far Flung EP, and it's I would describe as sumptuous summer music, and it's great value EP. It's on, it's on Spotify, but there's a really great gold sweet restring of it. Which is just really lovely, and you know? the sort of record that you would want on if you're at Hostel Dilatory in uh, Ibiza, watching the sun go down and uh, thinking all is right in the world. So I'm, I'm saying, give it a go. Well, let's have a listen to a bit of it. This is Pete Herbert with Far Flung Open Brackets Gold Suite Restring Close Brackets. It's going on the playlist. Here's a bit of it, and I'm going to go and pretend I'm sitting on a beach.
And we welcome once more Altered Images Firebrand, my teen hero, Claire Grogan, musician, actor, children's author, presenter and DJ. Ms Grogan has managed to stay both productive and totally relevant since her entry into the pop world while she was still a teenager. So good to have you here, Claire. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for such a nice introduction. I could have frothed on for a lot longer. So what took you? So we've got that bitch Grogan with us. <laughs> it's what I'm, I was half expecting. Um, I mean, we we discussed in the intro really what took you 39 years, um, and you were doing other things between doing this album. It's called Mascara Streaks, your album, which is the punkiest title of 2022, I think. Oh. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the notion that, well, one, I've always got smudged mascara, so it's a very personal kind mm. of, like, go at myself. But I, I can't go... When I started thinking about making the, you know, collection of songs, I couldn't stop thinking about last night a DJ saved my life mm. and the power of music, because I really, really have such a big emotional co- connection to certain songs, and I really believe that they did sa- have saved me sometimes. Mm. I really do. And I just love the idea of, you know, when you start on a big night out, it's kind of like, I've decided it's a bit of a metaphor for life. I really genuinely do. And you can agree with me or disagree <laughs> with me. But for me, it's about the the sort of anticipation, the preparation, the drama, the falling out, the every, falling in love, everyone getting back together. It's got a storyline every mm. night out, you know, mm. and I love a big night out and still do. Mm. And the idea of waking up in the morning with mascara streaks, thinking, <laughs> what what happened? Was it good <laughs> or wasn't it? And I just think that there's a real joy to that. And I think that, you know, particularly now when we're coming out of this, I know we're out of lockdown for a while now, but I just love the idea of the fact that the thing that I missed was this collective energy mm. of being in a room with people yeah, yeah. playing to music and dancing. And I'm not a big dancing queen. I love to dance. But I thought I suddenly really missed the the just being with people. I mean, I know everyone, well, not everyone did actually, mm. but I just loved the idea of this, you know, last night a DJ saved my life vibe. <laughs> Absolutely. Much of this album is about dancing, it seems. Before we chat further, let's have a listen on the podcast and the playlist. Here's Glitterball. I heard that you went back before or while writing this album and you listened to Simple Minds, Human League, Tom Tom Club and all sorts of early music, late 70s, early 80s stuff to get you in the spirit. Is that right? Yes, very much so. And I was at home with my husband and my daughter for lockdown and my Mm. Ellie was 16, she's now 17. And I just really started thinking about myself as a 16-year-old and what I was doing at that age. And I was pretty much in the back of a transit van running around the country Mm. with altered images. Mm. And I I started thinking about... Also, if I'm being honest, Sean, throughout that, I had to kind of really give my daughter quite a lot of, 
you know, pep talks mm, and mm. self-motivation yeah. and life coaching. And I suddenly thought, I need to heed some of this advice. So I really decided I wanted to find the energy and the boldness I had as a 17-year-old mm. and recreate it. I'm not interested in going back. Mm. This is very much about who I am now mm. and rediscovering that thing in me that made me want to be that bold and loud mm. and and just wanting to enjoy music, you know, in my own terms. And I've been doing that for a long time. And then, of course, I got... Bernard Butler drafted yes. in, my neighbour. It's a ball, is, as <laughs> yeah. we've just played, is written by a friend of the show, Bernard Butler. Um, so he was utilising that energy as well. And you both going, oh, look, it feels like we're 15 and 16 now. <laughs> Not quite. He's a bit, lot more laid back than I am. I'm always yeah. the most excited person in any room, mm. um, unless you're with Mark Ellen, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> He's quite excitable. Yeah. He really is, isn't he? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I just wanted to have fun with it more than anything but for me it had to have this very it's it's an incredibly personal record mm. this it's the most personal thing I've ever done right, because yeah. I expose quite a lot of myself in it and it's not all good but that's where I I, I think it's about being a survivor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but there's a line yeah. isn't there um, that I've written down on one of my notes about surviving which is from colour of my dreams the greatest thing I know is I know how to survive mm-hmm. so the great Gloria Gaynor is being used here as well but that is your own story too yeah I mean I've had a, quite a few knocks along the way my life is not quite a lot sometimes people say to me why are you always so happy and I'm like well because I know what real pain is and if I can get through that pain mm. I'm always going to come back to my happy place and that is the truth of it and I think that always even in my early songwriting days things like I could be happy I loved always having a slightly dark edge mm. to really upbeat tune and that, that's a theme with this as well mm. I mean I don't want to sound too heavy about it but I think the whole thing about life is you've got to utilise everything you've experienced and for me I had to turn that into a very positive thing and I think with this I can't go over I've got an album out I really can it's just overwhelming is there so how many of you are in the band then? I've been performing um, live shows for a very long time now and I have a rota of really fabulous musicians that are all Glasgow based there's about 10 of them and the reason why I've got this little you know um cooperative of musicians as they're busy they're in other bands they're doing other things mm-hmm. so I just rotate them all the time but in, for the record because it was this lockdown scenario I wrote it with my husband Stephen Bernard and my really good friend Robert Hodgins uh, better known as Bobby Bluebell mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. some so I wrote a couple of tracks with Robert a couple of tracks with Bernard and the rest was with Stephen and it was just circumstances that created that kind of little group of us round around my house mm-hmm. around at Bernard's house around at Robert's house and what's it like working with the husband who who bosses whom around well you know it's the only thing we don't argue about okay. really <laughs> it's it's quite incredible because you know the first song I ever wrote mm. with Stephen was Don't Talk To Me About Love okay. with Johnny McElhone yeah, yeah. as well and if he'd told me then 
that I'd end up married to him and writing an album with songs with him 40 years on or whatever, 100 years on. I would never, <laughs> ever have believed yeah. it. But yeah, no, we, we work, we have a bit of a shorthand, you know, because mm-hmm. although I haven't written songs for Altered Images for a while, although mm. I did for one of their greatest hits albums, I've written other songs with Stephen for, we wrote some songs for Skins. And, mm-hmm, that's right. And yeah, I've yeah. done some songwriting for yeah. American Soap Stars with them and all yeah. that. Yeah, so... I've always done it, but not on this kind of level for a yeah. very long time. Yeah, but it's okay then. It's, it's, no one's <laughs> yeah. storming out of the vocal booth. Well, you know, I'm so used to him. You know, when mm. I did say to him, you know, Robert and Bernard are a bit nicer to me <gasps> than you. Because <laughs> he's just, literally, he just go, do it again. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. They would at least say please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you after a take. Yeah. Altered Images was an HR success. So former members formed Texas, One Dove, probably many, many more, but there are many more. You're still here. Is it good to know how much influence Altered Images had sort of within there to go on and do things, but also in the wider world and people that do cite you as an influence? Yeah, it's it's quite overwhelming sometimes. I, it really is. And I, you know, I don't, I know it sounds crazy, but I tend not to overanalyze it, Mm -hmm. although people ask me to analyze it all the time. And for me, I just I prefer to not think about it too much because it's like I'm having some kind of out of body Mm. experience. I'm just very much about where I'm at at the moment and what I'm doing. And, you know, I absolutely love it, though, whenever I can go anywhere in the world and someone will say, I really love you know, don't touch me about mm. love or see mm. those eyes. Or, mm. And I could be happy, happy birthday. I mean, that's a really magical thing to have in life. <laughs> or, or dead pop stars for that matter. Yes. You want the other end of things. Absolutely. Yeah. People love dead pop stars. It's in my life set. And it always goes down an absolute storm, except with my daughter, Ellie, who's like, it's really embarrassing when you I do I was going to ask, mom. what does she think of the record? She sings in it. Oh, great. Oh, great. What's she on? <laughs> uh, Red Startles the Sky, yeah. Mascara Streaks, because um, we were kind of stuck at home together. Mm. And every so often, we did a quite a lot of writing in the kitchen. Then we'd go up to Stephen's mm. studio, and his studio is next door to her bedroom. So quite often, she would come storming through and ask us to turn it all down. It's <laughs> <laughs> pure Safi, yeah. you know, and yeah. absolutely fabulous. But she's got a great voice. And I said to her, it I don't want us to sound like the Partridge family because, believe me, we're really not. But I thought, this is something that will probably never happen again. Mm. I want you to be on it. In 2012, Gary Kemp admitted that you're the inspiration for True by Spandau Ballet. How did that feel? And it all coming out (laughs) as well? It's very weird. Um, I think it's Gary's story. And, you know, obviously it's so lovely that anyone would write a song about me at all but Gary is my friend and and it, you know people love that song mm. I just I feel like I'm I'm the bit of the disappointment attached to it oh no no it makes the song even more uh, what, I, I should put him in the friend zone I don't know he, should, he could at least have given you points for being that kind of inspiring yeah. person <laughs> come on like, no, inspiration points yeah. and you mentioned self-esteem earlier you listen to lots of new music and you really like her what do you like about self-esteem I like the messaging I think that's what we, I think that was missing in pop music for a while mm-hmm. and I think that's changed again mm-hmm. and 
maybe it's because I'm just listening to a lot more music because of my daughter and you know because I go through phases where I'm an absolute music nut and then I just don't have time for it mm. and I know that sounds mm. weird but when you're a real fan it's obsessive yeah it yeah. just is and yeah. if I can't be obsessive about it I have to let it go a bit but with self-esteem I literally was in my car um driving over to my niece's house Haley's and I had the first time I heard um I do this all the time I honestly had to pull the car over so I could listen to it properly mm. Mm. and I think when music affects you like that then there's someone is doing something yeah. absolutely right I had to listen to that record the first time I had it all afternoon and all evening yeah. of that day I had it on repeat because there was something about it there. So I, I very much agree with you there. Lastly, I'm going to Glasgow for the weekend, um, see my mates and stuff. What would you recommend? And I am. I'm going tomorrow morning. Are you going tomorrow yeah, morning? Yeah, I'm going tomorrow well, morning. Well, there's a pop yeah. festival I happening. know, I'm going to some of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in Glasgow. Are you? Yes. Uh-huh. Here we'll we go. Big Night Out. Okay, yeah. Album two written on Big Night Out. I'm going up to rehearse, actually, because I'm, oh, I'm playing Rebellion. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. The, in Blackpool. Oh, I'm so. around till Monday if you want yeah. to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Glasgow is such a fun city mm. and obviously I'm super biased about it. Yeah. But there's just, you know, when I when I first, when Ellie was a wee girl and we'd be mm. in Glasgow, she'd say to me all the time, does everyone in Glasgow know each other? And I'm like, <laughs> no, they're just really friendly. So, I mean, you will not be stuck yeah. for new friends. Mm. Um, there's so much going on in Glasgow mm. all the time. I love it. Oh, fantastic. Well, yes, I will be going and savouring every moment. I want to say thank you so much, Claire Grogan. It has been so lovely to speak to you. And uh, Mascara Streets is out end of August. Yes, yes. thank Sean, you so much. Sean is totally fan yelling here. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating it. Jolly <laughs> <laughs> good. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Finally, a bit more action for you. Out right now, this very day on Disney+, Plus, Prey is a prequel to the 80s bloodfest Predator. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I ain't got time to bleed, you remember all that. It's a very pre-prequel, set in 1719 on the American Great Plains, where the white man is only just pushing into Comanche lands, and the technologically advanced alien Predator has just arrived to carry out its own rite of passage, i.e. killing and skinning anything it can lay its hands on. <laughs> Starring the magnetic Amber Mid-Thunder as female warrior Naru, who's keen to prove herself as a skilled hunter, Prey features a core cast of Native American actors, and it asks the question, if Arnie and a platoon of 80s marines had a hard time killing this thing, how are you going to do it with hatchets and bows and arrows? <laughs> Here is a taster. It knows how to hunt. I know how to survive. The 
Predator's decision is final. Sean, this is an action movie with a very different setting from usual. The first Predator movie basically relitigated Vietnam with the space monster. <laughs> uh, you, you are coming to the Predator completely fresh. What did you make of this? I thought it was incredibly Disney. I don't think it's a surprise it's on Disney because it's about a princess who has to prove herself and go on a hunt. And mm. she has to prove that she has masculine energy as much as she has feminine energy. And she goes through that. The fact then there's this predator and he's half invisible and he's half not and he's eight foot tall and there's something else makes it interesting. But I thought it was quite traditional. Yeah. And I thought they've been very clever and this is really going to appeal to young girls. I don't see there's any point that, you know, from nine upwards that you... You couldn't really, really enjoy this film. It's interesting you should say Disney because it is brutal and blood-soaked with chopped-off limbs, exploding heads. And did we watch the after same? Bullet, did you watch Mulan by mistake? After train, I'm used to the gore. But I, think. It was, it, I mean, it, it doesn't stint on that. The arc of uh, Amber Mid Thunder's character mm. is, to me, the most compelling thing about it. She's mm. like, it's a, a completely different society from the one that we're used to seeing action movies transpiring. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly clear from this film, but the thing with the Predator is the young predators go to alien planets to prove themselves. They yes. carry out their first big ones. And that's exactly what she has to do. It's almost her walkabout, isn't it? It's almost her yeah, walkabout. Yeah, no, it's this, you know, she's, if she doesn't die from everything, you know, that's the way that she, that proves she exists, that proves she, you know, can do these things. And and in that, I really, really liked it. But I say it's not really my genre normally. Mm. I mean, the original movies were incredibly macho. It's like mm, loads of yeah. guys with machine guns yeah. and Arnie doing one-liners, you know, stabbing people and saying mm. stick around, all this kind of thing. This is modern gender politics in an action context. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I don't know that it goes much further in that mm. at points. She is the main character and she's incredibly solitary as a character. It is about her internal working. So you're not, apart from her, a monster and a few other people she meets on the way. I'm not sure that it goes into depth about, you know, any more than that. I mean, there are two versions of this going out. One's in the Comanche language. It's, as I say, it's a heavily Native American mm, mm. First Nation cast. There are cultural and history advisors on this. Insofar as I'm able to understand it, yeah. it seemed to be incredibly respectful to the, the society on which they're visiting this alien monster. I found that really interesting. Yeah, and I, I I thought that that was wonderful. And you can really tell that they've done their research and this is properly done and mm. the right experts are on it. Um, and this is a good, it's the 180 degree inversion that we need. A lot of these stories are told from the side we always hear from. And you're talking about those early Predator movies are about that. We need it heard from what usually should, you know, are the, you know, are the baddies. It just inverts that. And I think in that sense, it's really great. Tony, say, how about you? You, you? you haven't seen the original Predators either, have you? No, 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 I... Um, I'm not a massive sort of fan of the action movie. Yeah. But I do like this, and it's for a particular reason. Mm. I like any film where there's pre-industrial people and spaceships. Yes. <laughs> so there's there's nothing more satisfying than like a medieval pe- peasant ploughing the land and then getting wasted by a laser beam. So I like anything like that. But this is this is a thoughtful version of that because the, the aliens, in the very early scenes, the alien spaceship appears and she says to her brother, I've seen the Thunderbird, the creature from, you know, yeah, Asian yeah. American myth. It's an omen. It's showing me something. And in a sense, it actually genuinely is. You know, if you're talking about UFOs, well, I always find it very interesting. A UFO would be an unidentified flying object, but actually what people do straight away is they identify it as, say, a flying saucer mm. because those things that turn up that we can't explain, mm. we try and get an explanation for them. So in this, 
they they uh, liken it to a, a folk tale because they, yeah. they can't conceptualize they, they it. can't conceptualize it um but i i genuinely enjoyed it and um i i, I liked her and i like the fact that she was hanging around with a load of douchebags wasn't she <laughs> yeah so they were yeah. like uh, comanche idiots yeah and a, a really nice way that it's scripted is that we don't get any kind of cod sort of western dialogue there's no kind of big threat in big mm, jungle mm. they speak in a kind of in a neutral idiom the accents are american accents because that is a neutral accent for, the, yeah. for this audience there's no there's no kind of pantomiming of the native american characters it's like they just happen to be people who live in that society the thing that i really liked about it was that in Previous Predator movies, it's essentially loud blokes being punished for their arrogance. People who think that they mm. they pack modern day American military ordnance and that's going to, you know, th- this means that they will always win out. The the people that we're talking about here, the humans are talking about here, they're not tourists in the place that they've, they, you know, they hunt to live. So there's no kind of I've blundered into a place where I don't belong. This is like they know this landscape, they know what has to be done in order to survive. And it's the predator itself, which is the tourist. It's basically a gap year trophy hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like those horrible dentists we see have shot a lion, you know. And that puts a completely different cast around the whole thing. You know, you're not looking at a satire of, of a military power. You're looking at a kind of a lost world. Yeah, they've, they've sent him down. He's turned up to cause a load of hack. But also mm. there's a third element, which is... The, the bad guys are French. Well, the French yeah. trappers, yeah, because French, it's, ha- it's happening yeah. at the moment when the old world is about to colonise the new world. Mm, yeah. And mm. a large part of the second act involves French trappers turning up, capturing many members of the Native American cast. And there's a, a horrific scene of, of uh, dead buffalo, which turns out to be not exactly what you thought. And, you know, in a sense, it's like we've got two strands of who's the bad guy here. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, maybe it'd be good to hear from the predator. Yeah, you know, why he was there, you know. That's a bit woke for me. You know, so. <laughs> Have I gone too woke? Hey, come yeah. on, guys. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's incredibly enjoyable. I like the way it looks as well. Yeah, it looks uh, beautiful, it, It's it? really beautiful. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a sensational bit of telly, and I would heartily recommend it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm a huge fan of Amber Midthunder. She was great in a series called Legion, uh-huh. which is one of the less-known Marvel series, yeah. but is just probably the best of the Marvel TV series because it's so psychologically intense and interesting. And she plays a wonderful character in that who is, she's defined purely by violence. She wants to just, she, she runs around and says, is it time for me to punch somebody now? I need to punch somebody. I think she's got fantastic uh, potential as a proper female action hero. She herself is um, Native American. She's Mexican mm. Native American. There are great callbacks to the original Predators in this film. You know, if, if it bleeds, we can kill it. But it's not a kind of a self-congratulatory look at our clever action movie thing. There are no sort of, there are no zingers. There's no, I mean, much as I love the get away from her, you bitch moment in Aliens. There, there are no sort of unearned moments mm, of, mm. of look how clever we are in mm. this film. I always thought that the Predator... As a as a monster, never got a decent movie. Okay. You know, he's very much the D-list. <laughs> never you know, the, the, props, the right? Alien, Ridley yeah. Scott's Alien, yeah. is an absolute classic for the ages because it represents so many things. It's you know, body horror, the terror of birth. Is it mindless or is it incredibly intelligent? Mm. That whole life cycle of laying the eggs. All this kind of, it's so much going on, and the first one with Sigourney Weaver as as Ripley which in a way is not dissimilar from mm, this. It's mm. like the, the woman constantly let down by every man around mm. and finally has to solve it herself. But I don't think there's ever been a really great Predator movie. And this is a great Predator mm. movie because, you know, you've got, you know, what is it to be a hunter? Mirrored yeah. in the yeah, two yeah, yeah. casts. You've got what, what actually drives this society. And there's two great bits of nuance towards the end. And this is not a spoiler. 
but I think it, it's worth looking out for. The final title sequence, which is drawn in the style of, a, of Native American folk art, reprises the film with stick figures, basically. Yes. As often happens mm. in, in contemporary movies, you'll see the film, yeah. like a little coda to the film read on. But there's a, an implication in this, very, very lightly implied, that the reason the Predators don't come back for another 300 years is because of this. And they, they're not mm. going to come back until the weapons might be better, but the people won't be. The people mm. will be weaker mm. than her. And I thought that was, for, for little subtle things, mm. but I thought that was amazing. This will not be a surprise. This is not a spoiler. After events are resolved, there's a strong implication that something much bigger than the Predator is coming for this, for this Comanche tribe. Mm-hmm. And it's it is bigger than the Predator and it can't be fought and it will overwhelm them. And it's us. It's we are the people watching this film, people watching this in living rooms across America and mm. across the Western world. You know, it's incredibly poignant because you've just seen what we love to see, which is, you know, conflict played out in a fantasy context. But the film is clever enough to stay in dialogue with the mm. real world and say that whatever they've achieved, ultimately it is going to be in vain. And yeah. I found that I found it really moving, actually. And what a big splattery horror action movie yeah, can yeah. get you! I think that's an excellent piece of work. And it's on right now. It's on Disney Plus, yeah. and directed by a guy whose only previous movie is uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, <laughs> and a couple of episodes of <laughs> The Boys. A guy called wow. Dan Trapper. Well, that's very impressive. Amazing. So yeah. I'm. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Right, now it's the turn of you, Claire, to bring in a tune for our listeners. Yes. What have you brought in today? Well, I have brought in... This is a label in Glasgow, and Mm -hmm. actually they've got... You were talking about going to Glasgow, and I would go and check this shop out. It's called Last Night from Glasgow, Mm -hmm. and it's a shop and a label that sells all it. And it's a really cool label. I mean, I I don't know an awful lot about Mm -hmm. it, but... The number of times people that I mix with say, have you heard this? It's on Last Night from Glasgow. Okay. It was Bobby Bluebell that introduced me to Sister Joan, mm-hmm. um, who are a band in Glasgow. And the Bluebells actually collaborate with them um, from time to time and they do quite a lot of shows together. I really love this one, I'll Be Your Life by Sister Joan. Fantastic. You can hear the full thing on the playlist, but here's a bit of I'll Be Your Life. I'll be Finally, regular listeners know we also ask our guests to bring in their favourite songs of all time to add on the playlist. Claire Grogan, what is the best tune of all time? Well, this is just the toughest question out and I absolutely hate it when people ask me. (laughs) That's why we ask you. (laughs) Oh, yes. But it always comes back to the same song for me and that's Hong Kong Garden, Susie and the Banshees. Ah. I was a massive Susie fan. And when I first heard this record, I think it was 1978... I went, I found what worked for me in music, you know, because a lot of my taste was based a little bit on my, well, quite a lot of my big sister's taste. Mm. And suddenly I discovered Susie Sue and I went, she is my kind of girl. And I literally carried a copy of it 
the single uh, around in my handbag for years just in case I came across someone oh. who'd never heard it and I'd be like <laughs> you haven't heard it have you got a record player here you are and you know then Altered Images got to support Susie on her Scottish leg mm-hmm. of her tour when we first started out because we got in touch with the fan club manager mm-hmm. um, Billy Chainsaw and said we we see Susie in the band she's coming to Scotland do they need an opening act because <laughs> we'd be happy to do mm-hmm. it and they said yes. Wow. <laughs> have you still got an emergency copy of Hong Kong Garden in your bag? No, I've got it case. on my phone. Of course yeah. you have. Excellent. <laughs> well, the good yeah. news is we've all got it on our phone now <laughs> because of technology. We'll stick that on the playlist. Tony Teasdale, what have you chosen? I think this is about the fifth time I've, <laughs> I've been asked my favourite tune of all time. So I'm not going to keep saying the same one because that'd be weird. <laughs> so I sort of looked at uh, my Spotify uh, playlist and how what I play mostly. <laughs> and I do play a lot of late mid 70s AOR which is weird because I was four yes. but it reminds me very much of my my parents and what was going on on Radio 2 and that sort of thing and mm. it's um, so this time it's um, Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon absolutely oh, it's a banger isn't it it's, it's a gorgeous song Boss, isn't it, that? it's a bond yeah. banger <laughs> yes you got a really big reaction to that I got yeah. less so for Hong Kong Garden we <laughs> were more respectful uh, Hong, Kong, Hong Kong Garden got ah and nobody <laughs> nobody does it better they go <laughs> it's just there's this string crescendo at the end it's yeah. absolutely fantastic <laughs> lyrics I wasn't looking, but somehow you find, found me. That's yeah. great, isn't it? You know, and ju- they also get in, was it um, like Heaven Above Me, The Spy Who Loved Me? So they, they, they got, the title they got in. it in, and it, it's mm. just absolutely fantastic. And get on it now. Yeah. You appreciate like a piece of great art it is. Yeah. It'll be straight on the playlist. Oh, uh, yes. Link is, as you know, the links are in the show notes, and it's on Tidal as well, so you can listen on Spotify or Tidal. And with that, we're at the end of the podcast, and it's closing time chatter. What will we be discussing as we get our sequins on, neck a can of hard seltzer and hit the dance floor? This is exactly what we did last week. Claire, what's your closing time chatter? I can't wait for the point that age is something that we don't have to talk about in relation to music mm-hmm. and and all things cultural to a certain extent because I've been doing quite a lot of press recently for my new album and the response has been amazing and it really has. But there's just always a slight, not everyone, but some people just creeping in with that kind of slight attitude of, do you think this is appropriate at your age? <laughs> It just honestly, it makes me laugh and Mm. I just can't wait for that not to be part of the conversation. But, you know, interestingly, Mm. at the top of this show, I talked about being 40s, in my Mm. 40s when I started doing Happy Mm. Birthday Mm. again and thinking, is this right? So I'm slightly guilty of Mm. it as well. But, you know, Sean, I just, what I say to people a lot is um, I'm not trying to deny my age. Mm. Why would I? Mm. I really am not but I'd rather be viewed as a person and an artist. <laughs> an artist, I really call myself an artist, but as a person mm. and not an age. Yeah, And absolutely. I can't wait for that to just not be a thing. Well, mm. I've been uh, being asked, haven't you gone out of pop music yet since I was about 19? So it's just people keep saying it, don't they? And in the end, we're, we're told at all times, stay in touch with your inner child. Yep. And then when you do, people go, haven't you grown out of that yet? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't. I'm Are not you? going to. Yeah. I think be, I think that's getting less and less because I, I associate pop music not really with youth anymore. 
Yeah, they're I not interested. I, they're, yeah, they don't care. Like you know, so they don't bother. So it's you know, it's for me. If you look at the stones, it's just a, mm. mostly can be a job mm. for life. So you, you go around saying to young people, "Haven't you grown into that yet?" Yeah, have you got. Yeah, you got am I yeah. not still? No. It's about following your passion, everybody. Yeah. Mm. Tony T, what's your closing time chatter? Predictably and really predictably, I was listening to the, uh, Radio 5 the other day and there was a great conversation between uh, journalist Jim White and Phil McNulty and they've written a book about um, Liverpool and mm-hmm. Man United and the relationship between those mm-hmm. two football teams. Yeah. Uh, probably, And it's a bit of a bigger thing that looks at the relationship between the two cities as well and uh, great similarities, very similar to another brilliant city, Glasgow. Um, I would put all three of those together as fantastic brilliant amazing mm. British cities and it's a really interesting history about why Liverpool and Man United dislike each other so much mm. and when it began so there's a lot mm-hmm. of what they can back history with this or back history is when we suit the history to, to suit the present mm. but actually if you look it only really started in the early 70s the rivalry yeah, yeah. Really? It's it's you know there's talk about well it's mm. when it's when the Manx built the ship canal to mm. avoid paying our Obviously, very generous tariffs. Poor tariffs, yes. Yes, <laughs> great guys we were. Um, <laughs> but, um, and it's just really fascinating because actually it's a modern day phenomenon. Mm. It's based mm. around football. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting about it is the clubs don't really do business together. It's only mm. the, the last player was in the late 60s. Yes. They don't particularly get on with each other at a board level. Mm. And I think it's quite, I mean, obviously it's interesting to me because I'm very passionate about the Northwest. I love the Northwest. But I'd be interested in what people who aren't from our area think of those two cities and clubs. What's the book called? Red on Red. There you go. Well, this is, you know, Sherlock Holmes is nothing without Moriarty. Doctor Who is nothing without the Master. Mm. Yes. You know, these clubs are nothing without each other. Let's not forget Everton. What's your closing time, Jeff, Andrew Harris? Well, uh, mine is the astonishing canning of Mm. this $70 million Batgirl movie shot in Glasgow uh, because it makes more sense as a tax loss than it does putting it out. I can't Mm. believe it was that bad that it couldn't be put out at all. The directors, Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah, did a very good job on Ms. Marvel. These are exciting young talents. I can't believe they made a film so terrible. I mean, look at some of the rubbish that that Mm. Warners have Mm. put out under the DC banner. Genuinely, shockingly bad film. So the idea that it actually has more value as a tax write-off than what could be brought back uh, just even from uh, putting it straight to streaming or whatever. Apparently, um, DC, the DC division of Warner's is now restructuring to be more like Marvel and have a a plan like Marvel has. And it's like, now you realise, 12, 14 years down the line, now you know. I don't think they'll ever get it right because, as friend of the podcast Ian Dunn said on Twitter... Marvel is Marvel superhero movies are made by people who love comics and yeah, DC yeah. are not made by people who love comics they don't even seem to love movies very much but the idea that a 70 million pound movie can never be seen mm. astounds me mm. but Andrew do you not think this announcement has just made absolutely everyone want to see it yeah. yes. <laughs> well it's yes. so they might reverse the decision apparently it's a reversal apparently this yeah. is this is not a joke or a marketing technique uh, this is not we're going to close down six music yeah. cough cough yeah. no we're not so we're yeah. splitting up cough cough it's the real deal they're not putting out and it amazes me mm. it just can't be that bad I mean or if it I mean how can you go well I've always thought because I make quite a lot of low budget movies Mm -hmm. and I've always thought you know having a huge budget Mm -hmm. is not a guarantee Mm -hmm. of anything in Mm -hmm. fact it can get really in the way of creativity films can be that bad 
you, if you've ever seen Battleship with Rihanna, you'll know films can be oh, that bad. Sean, what's your closing time, Shadow? Um, well, it's uh, I mean, the overview is that a work of art is never finished. And we do talk about creativity and how people do it and what happens and the whole process on this podcast quite a lot. But it's Beyonce taking out the Khalees sample on her record because she hadn't asked Khalees uh, whether she could sample a bit of milkshake that Khalees is not credited with writing, but then Khalees has a problem with that because that's the Neptunes and they took all the money from it and how complicated these things are, mm. how unfair the system still feels for creators and their work being used but also how you can release an album one week and then you release the different version on streaming the next week and then maybe it will change. Lizzo had to do it as well. Well, so Beyonce used. had to take out a it was unpleasant disabled yeah, slayer, yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. In, I thought, it, sorry, Sean, but yeah, I thought it was good. absolutely incredible that Beyonce's team hadn't picked up on that. You would have thought. Mm. But that just goes to show how yeah. closed in people become and yeah. just about themselves. But yeah. I recognise it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was actually a legal thing was it? I think it was um, Khalees had kicked off about it and she it, was, it was more about the look vocally, than me. Yeah. Uh, yes, publicly. Um, uh, as, as, you, know, I, you know, I'm team Khalees really on that front. I mean, you do the common courtesy, don't you, at least, um, mm. even if the royalties are going to be a bit spiky and a bit confusing. But yeah, I think it's endlessly fascinating that you can change product, you can change art and these things are never clear cut. There's always yeah. a legal team. But then you end it. up with George Lucas ruining Star Wars. Put it out and leave it never changed. That's what I say. Well, fair enough. And on that note, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you very much to the mighty Claire Grogan for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. I love a chat. (laughs) Mascara streaks is out at the end of the month, yes? Yeah, 26th of August. 26th of August. And I'm going to be doing a show in Rough Trade East on that that night you know all right do a live, it's fabulous yeah it's fabulous the place record. to be it is a great really, great really record. Enjoy. <laughs> thank you and also thanks for joining us to the ever relaxed tony teasdale am i relaxed you are very <laughs> relaxed very laid back <laughs> listeners remember you can get all the tunes on our rolling playlist links are at the top of the show notes from me and sean from producers alex reese yelna safinevich and jade bailey thank you for listening and we're going to see you next week bye The Culture Bunker was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison and Sean Pattenden. The producers were Yelna Sofranievich and me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.